Today I want to talk about why prayer. Why should we pray like the early church? And then I want to ask the question, how did they pray? And I don't think that we can overemphasize prayer too much. I don't think we can talk about prayer too much. I don't think we can pray too much. I'm reading a book on revival right now. And essentially on every page, in one way or another, he's saying that we need to pray more. He's saying that it's all about prayer. Now you can have everything as a church. You can have a good choir. You can have a good musician like my wife who sings really good. Um, You can have devoted followers. But if there's no prayer in the church, if the church isn't a praying church, it's most likely a dying church. And the author of this book, he mentions that if you're a pastor and you're not praying for two hours a week, he says, you're not worth your salt. And so I was pretty convicted in that. And I put the book down for a couple days, maybe longer than a couple days after that, because I was like, man, two hours a day, if you're not praying two hours a day, you're not worth your salt. And then I thought about it. And then I in one sense, maybe started to justify how I don't pray two hours a day because I'm like, well, I don't see in the Bible where it says, I'm still looking for that verse that says you must pray two hours a day. And I'm like, so who does this guy think he is saying that you must pray two hours a day if it's not in the scripture? Show me in the word. And then I remembered 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that says pray without ceasing, right? Pray at all times. So I said, why stop at two hours? Why isn't it six hours or eight hours or 10 hours? But we have jobs and we have life and we have kids. And so what does that look like in each of our lives? It looks differently to pray without ceasing. And the bottom line is Lord help us to set aside time to pray to him. And I believe there's different kinds of prayers. I think Pastor Joe calls it flare prayers when you're, where you're just offering up a prayer to God and, or he'll say like, we're bringing out the heavy guns now. Like this person has cancer or this person's very sick. This person's dying. We're, we're bringing out the heavy guns now. We're fasting. We're, we're getting into deep prayer. We're, we're going to pray for an hour, two hours, three hours. And so I believe there's different circumstances of life, but I do believe it's wise that we set aside time for prayer. And Daniel did that. If you remember three times a day, he set aside time to pray, even after the king signed the edict that if anyone prays to another God or worships another God than him, which he's not God, obviously, then he's to be thrown in the lion's den and Daniel continued to do what he was already doing. And that was setting aside time to pray to the Lord. So if we already set aside time to pray to the Lord, when life gets busy, when life gets hard, we're already in that routine, right? And so it's a good practice to keep. What it looks like in each of our lives, whether that's two hours, five hours, eight hours, 30 minutes, I don't know that God looks at the time per se. I don't think he's keeping like a stopwatch in his hand and going, Nick, pray, oh, two hours, boom. Okay, now he's worth his salt as a pastor, right? You prayed 30 minutes, okay, you're good. It's it's more of where is our heart at? Is our heart in communion with him? Is our heart seeking him? Or are we trusting in ourselves? Are we leaning on our own understandings? So even that is something to give to God in prayer. God, help me to pray more. Help me to set time aside to pray more. But also, Lord, help me not to feel guilty if I'm not meeting up to a certain number or a certain amount of minutes. We should all be striving to pray more, but give it to God and allow him to guide it and to direct our lives. So a healthy, a strong, a thriving church, I believe will always be a praying church. It's the lifeblood of the church. We talked about last week, 
the Greek word for church, ekklesia. The called out ones is what it means. Called out from the world into the body of the church. The church isn't the building. The church doesn't cease to be the church depending on location. Like we don't cease to be the church when we're working out in the world during the week or when we're at home or when we leave those doors, we don't cease to be the church. We are still the church. And we try to model here in church as Blessed Hope Simi has done to pray throughout the worship service, to pray before we sing, to pray after we sing, pray before the sermon, pray after the sermon, pray before or during communion. And then many of you guys, even last week I saw some people praying together And so we want to carry that out into the world that we go to. And so I thought about putting a sign by the door and putting on it, you are now entering the war zone. Devote yourself to prayer. As a reminder, as you're walking out those doors, some of us, I don't think in this building, but some Christians can think, okay, once I go out those doors, I can kind of lighten up. I got, I got my spiritual fill. Now it's off to the world. It's off, it's off to work. It's off to think about life. It's off to get lunch. It's off to think about finances and whatever else I have in life that's pressing and that are important needs and things that are on our minds. But then the things that we've learned in church or the things that we have taken part in church can kind of fall to the wayside when they need to be a priority. They need to be at the forefront of all that we do out there. And Paul uses that language, and we've talked about it, put on the full armor of God, fight the good fight of faith. Timothy, Timothy, suffer hardship as a good soldier. Paul uses the warfare language in the New Testament because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places we're in a battle, right? Wherever we are, we're in a battle. But particularly when we're in the world, we can put our defenses down. When we come into the church building, we're ready to hear the word, pray. We're ready to fight, so to speak. I believe more so than when we go out there, we can let our defenses down. And the enemy is right there going around, prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We need to stay in prayer So, I recently, well, I don't know if this was recently, but I remember hearing of a pastor who got this amazing gift, and I thought it was one of the coolest gifts I've ever heard of, and it was a calendar from his church. And on every day of the year, they put one of the congregants' names and said that they would be praying for him. So, 365 days, everyone in the church at a specific time or at least these 365 people, or I don't know if they repeated names, but he he knew every day when he woke up, someone was praying for him. And he was encouraged to know that they were in prayer and that they were praying for him. I thought, that's a really cool gift. So give me that gift someday. (laughs) Uh, and And that's why I think Blessed Hope has been so blessed. I think from its inception, from the beginning, Pastor Joe has been a man of prayer. He's someone who has emulated prayer. He's someone who's been devoted to prayer, who's taught on prayer, and it's been caught. They say you catch a lot from your teacher, right? It's not only taught, it's caught, I think. And kids pick up on a lot of what their parents do just by watching. So when I'm praying around Leland, my son, or reading the Bible recently, he's like, I'm going to go read my Bible. It wasn't like I told him, go read your Bible. If he sees daddy reading his Bible, he wants to read his Bible too. 
when we see Pastor Joe being a man of prayer and a man of humility before the Lord, then it catches in our lives as well. And I think that's why Blessed Hope has been blessed in so many ways over the years. I want to look at the book of Acts today. I want to take us on a little journey through the book of Acts, go to some different scriptures. This is the early church. Sometimes you hear of the early church fathers, the church fathers, um, Justin Martyr and Tertullian and many of these church fathers of the early church and we're talking 100 or 150 AD or 200 AD, really early. We're, we're, we're going to be looking at the early, the real early church from its inception, when the church was born, and that's the book of Acts. Acts chapter one, verse 14. Jesus ascended into heaven. The disciples go back to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. They're in the upper room, and it says in Acts 1.14, these all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Remember, his brothers were scoffers. Remember, they didn't believe in Jesus. And then something changed. And what was that? They saw the resurrected Lord. And here they are devoting themselves to prayer. What a radical change from being obstinate, prideful, mocking Jesus at one point. In the book of John, you read how they're like, why don't you go down to Jerusalem? Why don't you go to the feast? Why don't you go show yourself to the world? What, you think you're the Christ? You think you're the Messiah? Is essentially what they're saying there, mocking him. And here we see them devoted in humility to prayer with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the disciples. And so right from the get-go, that's what they're devoting themselves to. They could have devoted themselves to a lot of things because there's a lot of things to do in the church, Right? They could have said, we're going to be devoting ourselves to learning how to preach. We're going to be devoting ourselves to learn how to get out and evangelize. We're going to devote ourselves to many different things that go on in the church. We're going to devote ourselves to singing, maybe. I don't know. Fill in the blank. But they're devoting themselves to prayer. And that's what we're going to see as we go through the book of Acts here, is that they made sure to keep prayer a priority in their lives, and we need to as well. Look at Acts 2.42. Right before Acts 2.42, Peter preaches. The Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples. They're preaching with tongues of fire, it says. And 3,000 people in verse 41 get saved. And what do they do in verse 42? Acts 2.42, once again, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, the breaking of bread, and prayer. Prayer is there again. They're devoting themselves to prayer. If you'll go to Acts chapter 3, verse 1, just a couple verses down, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. So first three chapters, what is emphasized? Prayer. They're going up to pray during the ninth hour. And as they're going up to pray, if you guys remember the story, there's this blind beggar who's right outside the temple. And he's been blind since his birth. And he's begging for money. And if you remember what Peter and John tell this blind beggar, as he's begging for silver and gold, and Peter says, silver and gold, I have none. But in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene, walk. That's chapter 3, verse 6. And many health and wealth and prosperity gospel preachers today would walk up and say, I have millions of dollars. Here you go and walk away. 
and pat themselves on the back. But Peter gives him something greater. He gives him eyesight. He does a miracle. And from there, he preaches not only to this man, but to the entire crowd. And many of the multitude came to the Lord. You see throughout the book of Acts, and you can remember this through these P's that I've written down, if I can find them here. Prayer, preaching, persecution, perseverance, and power. Not necessarily in that order, but pretty much that sums up the book of Acts. Preaching, prayer, persecution, perseverance, and power. So here he is preaching to this multitude. Many of them get saved. And then what happens next in Acts chapter four? Persecution. The religious leaders arrest Peter and John. They tell them, stop preaching in this name. And what does Peter and John say? Okay, we're gonna obey you. If you tell us to stop preaching Jesus, you're our authority. We want to honor you. Okay, we're done. They say in Acts chapter four, verses 19 and 20, whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot speaking, we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. They testify that they're going to continue preaching. I love that about the book of Acts, the boldness that they have, the courage that they have, no matter what, comes their way, they're not going to stop preaching and teaching about what they have heard. You get to Acts chapter four, verses 24 through 31, and we have the disciples' prayer here laid out. And I wanna circle back around to this prayer and kind of dissect it a little bit and go through it and see what we can learn from this prayer. And it's a prayer of acknowledging God's sovereignty in their lives. But I wanna jump to Acts chapter six and just continue through this journey of the book, through the book of Acts on prayer, Acts chapter six, verse four. The disciples say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. If you remember the context of this verse, the widows were being overlooked. They were serving food in the congregation of the disciples and the church and the widows were overlooked and they come to the disciples and say, we're being overlooked. Our needs aren't being met and you need to step in and help and you need to make sure that everything is being handed out properly. And the disciples could have said, we're going to get more involved in this. We're going to devote more time to this. We're going to make sure that our hands are in this, so to speak, so that everything gets carried out properly. And instead, they say, we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And they appoint Stephen, and they appoint several other men full of faith, and they lay their hands on them and pray and say, you serve God has gifted you, and that's what we see in verses five through seven, to go ahead and make sure that these needs are met. This was an opportunity for the disciples to get sidetracked in a good way, kind of like we talked about, I think, last week or the week before with Martha. Jesus, aren't you gonna tell Mary to help me cook over here? This is important. We're serving you food. We're serving. No, she is sitting at my feet learning from me. This is the better thing. And at times in ministry, we can get sidetracked from many good things the disciples made sure to keep prayer at the front and center. You get to Acts chapter seven. This entire chapter pretty much is devoted to Stephen giving the religious leaders a lesson of the Old Testament, a history lesson, and that's the first 48 verses or so. So if you want a synopsis of the Old Testament, read Acts chapter seven, verses one through 48, and you'll get a great breakdown of the Old Testament. And by the way, Stephen is a deacon. He's not even an elder or a pastor in the church, yet he's able to preach and teach 
and show with power and courage the awesome work that God's done in the Old Testament. And so that's a pretty high standard. If he's a deacon preaching this message, that's quite amazing. But they don't like his message and they don't like that he rebukes them. And so many of us know the story. They stone Stephen to death and as they're throwing stones at him and killing him, Acts chapter seven, verse 59, if you're still with me, it says, they went on stoning Stephen as he called upon the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. So he's praying even as he's dying. And he's not only praying, he's praying mercy upon those who are putting him to death. Quite amazing that he can pray that way. I once had someone tell me we, n- we never prayed to Jesus. It was during a Bible study. And the teacher said, we do not pray to Jesus We never see that modeled for us in the New Testament. The only thing we see in the New Testament is we pray to the Father. And I said, I beg to differ. Seven, Acts chapter seven, verses 58, nine and 60. Who is Stephen praying to here? Jesus, he's looking up to Jesus. He's praying to him to receive his spirit and that he would not hold this sin against them. I love Psalm 116, verse 15. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his godly ones. Wouldn't that be a great way to go out praying to the Lord or singing to the Lord as you're dying? Acts chapter 8, verses 14 and 15. And I'm going to go to Acts chapter 8, 14 and 15, and then Acts 9, 10, and just bounce around real quick so you don't have to turn with me if you don't want to. But I'm just showing you all the times in the book of Acts where we see prayer mentioned. And it's quite a bit as you've already seen. Acts 8.14, now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So we see here that they're praying for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9 verse 40, There's this woman, Tabitha, who dies. They call in Peter. Peter prays over her, raises her from the dead, and God gets the glory. Acts chapter 10, verse 2. If you guys remember the story of Cornelius, I love the story of Cornelius. He's an Italian man, an Italian soldier who wasn't a Christian, though. And it lists four things about Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. He's a devout man who feared God, who gave alms to the Jewish people, and he prayed to God continually. He's a man who was devoted to prayer and he wasn't even a Christian. And you read later on in the story in Acts chapter 10 that Peter is devoting himself to prayer as well. So here Cornelius is devoted to prayer, Peter is devoted to prayer, and God brings the two together and Peter says in Acts chapter 10 verse 31, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before the Lord. And if you remember the story, Peter comes to Cornelius' house. Cornelius is so excited that he gets down, he bows before Peter and he goes to worship him. And Peter says, get up. I'm just a man like you. Cornelius is like this little boy in a candy shop. He's so excited. Peter's here. He's an apostle of Jesus. Cornelius has this humble heart and Cornelius invites his friends. He invites his relatives, his family to come to this exciting get together with the apostle of Jesus, Peter. And if you remember, Peter begins 
He begins preaching and teaching and the Holy Spirit falls upon all of them and they all get saved. It's an awesome story that all began with a man who is devoted to prayer. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Acts chapter 12, verse 5. It says, so Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. Here Peter is arrested. He's thrown in jail. And what is the church doing for him? Fervently praying for Peter. The only other time in the New Testament we see that word for fervently is in 1 Peter 1.22, where Peter says, love the brethren fervently from the heart. Found that pretty fascinating that here the church is fervently praying for Peter. The only other time it's mentioned in the New Testament is from Peter himself, fervently loving one another from the heart. And that's what the early church was doing. The Greek word is ektenos. It means fully stretched, without slack, completely taught. They were devoting themselves to prayer for Peter. We see in verse 7, an angel lets Peter out of jail. And in verse 12, it says, When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. Acts chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. Here's the church in Antioch. Paul's there. Barnabas is there. There's many prophets and teachers that are there. And what are they doing in verses 2 and 3 of Acts 13? While they are ministering to the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then when they had fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them away. This is the first missionary journey of Paul. And it started with prayer. It started with fasting. So you're seeing over and over again through these chapters, prayer is at the forefront of all that they're doing. Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it continues on. Paul is on this missionary journey. He's visiting the churches, Acts 14, 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commanded, commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So they prayed over these elders who they appointed. Let me give you a couple more in case we haven't seen this theme yet. Acts 16, 25. Acts 16, 25. Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. It says, but after about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. I shared this story a couple weeks back, how Paul was beaten for casting out a demon from this fortune teller. And the master of this woman fortune teller was no longer receiving the funds that he was once receiving. So he brought Paul to the magistrates and said, this man is causing an uproar. And so they beat Paul and Silas with many blows, it says, and they threw them in prison. How are you feeling if you're getting beaten up for spreading the gospel? You're getting beaten up. You're getting thrown in prison. How are you feeling? Paul and Silas probably weren't feeling great, but they did the right thing. They sought the Lord in prayer. They sang to the Lord. And it specifically says in verse 25, the prisoners were listening to them. People in this world watch how we react to life circumstances. We may not think that they're watching us, but they are. They're watching us to see how we react at work. They're watching us to see when our kids aren't listening and being a handful, how are we responding to them? Are we responding in gentleness? Are we keeping our composure or are we lashing out? We have many opportunities to shine the light of Christ, and that's what Paul and Silas were doing here, praying in Acts chapter 16. And of course, God comes through, 
The prison doors open up. The jailer is about to kill himself because he's going to get the death penalty if he lets Paul and Silas and the other prisoners go because that's what happened back in those days and perhaps in places around the world. If you're in charge of prisoners and they get out on your watch, you're a dead man. So he gets out his sword, goes to kill himself, and Paul says, uh-uh, we haven't, we haven't left yet. We're all still here. At which point the jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Prayer and singing to the Lord in a good heart and Paul and Silas led to a man getting saved, him and his whole household. We're seeing the power of prayer in action all throughout the book of Acts. Would we see God's hand and his power working in these radical ways in the book of Acts if it wasn't accompanied with prayer? I don't think so. And that's why prayer is so important. James says you, you have not because you ask not. And perhaps we don't see the power, we don't see maybe some miracles or signs and wonders or we don't see God acting in our lives because we're not in prayer as we should be. We're not devoted to prayer as the early church was in the book of Acts. We might pray some, but we've been sidetracked. Perhaps we've fallen into these certain things like the early church could have fallen into and the disciples could have fallen into, things that are good, things that maybe are beneficial in certain ways, but we must not ever put prayer by the wayside or put prayer underneath some of these things. We must keep our priorities straight. And that's what we need to learn from the early church. Acts twenty thirty six says, and when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. That's Paul praying with the Ephesian elders in Acts twenty thirty six. Acts 21, 5, second half of the verse it says, after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said far- farewell to one another. And then in Acts 28, 8, Paul went in to see him and after he prayed, he laid his hands on him and healed him. Prayer is a staple throughout the book of Acts. May the Lord help us to pray. Praying is like asking if we need to pray is asking like, do we need to eat? It's asking like, do we need to breathe? It's, it would be foolish to even ask the question, do we need to pray? Because it's, what we need to sustain our lives. Just like breathing sustains our physical life, prayer sustains our spiritual life. I believe one of the main ways to bolster our prayer lives, because I believe at times, no matter how strong you are in the Lord, your prayer life is going to diminish at times. Your prayer life is not going to be what it once was. I just think in the battle that we're in, the flesh and the spirit and the weakness of our flesh, at times, our prayer life isn't what it should be. At least I'm speaking for myself and many Christians that I know. Perhaps you beg to differ. Praise God, then you could teach us all how to pray more and pray more resolutely in the Lord. But I think we need to learn from people in the scripture. And it's been said that there's 650 references to prayer laid out for us in the Bible and 222 actual prayers in the scripture from Genesis to Revelation 222 prayers that we can look at to help aid us in our prayer lives. Let me give you a few right now. Abraham's prayer, Genesis 15, verses two and three. It's a prayer for an heir. You have Moses' prayers, many of Moses' prayers. Let me give you two. Exodus 32, verses 31 and 32. It's a prayer of mediation. Numbers 10, 35 and 36. Moses' 
prays for perseverance and protection. You have Hannah's prayer, 1 Samuel 2, verses 1 through 10, a prayer of thanksgiving. You have Jabez's prayer of blessing, 1 Chronicles 4.10. You have Hezekiah's prayers in 2 Kings 19, 15 through 19, and 2 Kings 20, verse 3, prayers of deliverance, prayers of humility. You have Solomon's prayers, Solomon's prayer for wisdom, 1 Kings 3, 7 through 9, his prayer of dedication of the temple, 1 Kings 8, 22 through 53. I could go on and on. David's prayers in the Psalms, for favor, Psalm 60, for repentance, Psalm 51, for help, Psalm 43, for safety from his enemies, Psalm 57, Psalm 86, a prayer for mercy, Jonah's prayer in Jonah 2, verses 1 through 9, Jesus' prayer, Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the Lord's prayer, Ephesians 1, 16 through 19, Paul's prayer for the church, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19, Paul's prayer for the revelation of Christ, Jesus' prayer in John 17, verses 1 through 26, his prayer for the disciples and his prayer for us before going to the cross. I could give you prayers of Jacob, prayers of Joshua, prayers of Gideon, Jephthah, Manoah, Samson, Elijah, Elisha, Asa, Jehoshaphat, Ezra, Nehemiah, Job, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Amos, Habakkuk, and we're just scratching the surface. And if you'd like any of those prayers, I have them all documented. So come see me after, and I can give those to you to where you can look at these prayers. You can meditate on these prayers. And if you in your prayer life are feeling stagnant or feeling like I'm not quite praying like I should, God wants us to look to these prayers, to learn from them, to meditate on them, and even at times recite the same prayers they prayed. That's what I do. It's helped me in my walk with the Lord. Psalm 23, Psalm 63. Some of these Psalms are my go-tos when I don't know how to pray as I should. I pray the way David prayed. I, pray, I try to pray the way Jesus prayed, having the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, 9, 13, walking through that and just praying. And before you know it, meditating on these prayers is causing you to pray more. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And just stop, Lord, you are my shepherd. Thank you, Lord, for feeding me. Thank you, Lord, for protecting me. Thank you, Lord, for guiding me. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not in want. Thank you that you sustain me and keep me and have saved me. And that's how saying or reciting a psalm or a prayer in the scripture can lead to you praying more and lead to growth in your prayer life and my prayer life. Acts 4.24, let's go back. Let's dive into this prayer with the time that we have remaining and look at this prayer of the early church right after Peter and John were thrown in prison and threatened, don't you dare preach this word again, and I love how they say we're going to continue to speak about what we have seen and heard. I love the boldness. Acts 4.24. When they had heard this, they lifted their voice to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of our father David, thy servant, said, Why did the Gentiles rage? And the peoples devise futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. 
And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak the word with all boldness. While you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. So, what can we learn from this text? I have seven observations that I want to share with you of how the early church prayed and why it's important in our lives as well. And the first observation is they were in one accord as they were praying together. The Greek word is homo thumadon. It means to be in one passion, one mind, unanimous, passionate about one thing. Now where it says in Acts 4.24, when they heard this, they lifted their voice. That's the congregation. Peter And John came back and delivered the word to them of what just happened. They said, look, we were just arrested by the religious leaders. We were able to testify about Christ. They reported this back to the disciples in the congregation. And it says they in unison lifted their voice to the Lord. Now commentators go back and forth as to what exactly is going on here. Was the entire room reciting this prayer together out loud in unison? Some commentators believe so. They believe that the Holy Spirit inspired them all at the same time to pray this prayer. Could that be? Yeah, possible. Some commentators believe Peter led the prayer or John led this prayer and everyone else was in unison saying amen, amen, as they were praying. Or perhaps Peter was saying some of this prayer and some of the other apostles and disciples were saying part of the prayer as well. And then Luke is gathering the prayer together for us. I'm not exactly sure what went down. Perhaps you guys have your own opinions, but the main point is that they were in unison, that they were in one accord together saying this prayer. And we see that in Acts 1.14, Acts 2.46, Acts 5.12, and Acts 15.25, where it says they were in one accord, one mind devoting themselves to one another and to prayer. That's really an important point that we continue to stay one-minded. I read an article titled, Michigan football fan hasn't missed a home game in 20,000 days. The streak ends Saturday. The article says, Michigan football fan John Levinson will miss his first home game since 1964 after 543 games. 1964 till 2020, he attended every single home game. Are people passionate about sports? You betcha. That's a lot of games without missing. That's a lot of times that maybe he didn't even feel like going. Maybe he was sick, but he made sure he was there. I want to see if there's any congregants who have done that in church. Haven't missed a day of church since 1964. Maybe they're out there. I don't know. Pretty amazing. Why did he miss this game according to the article? COVID. And he was mad about it too. He called everyone. He called the athletic director. I think he got the coach's number. He called every director, everyone in power. I need to be at this game. I haven't missed a game in 20,000 days since 1964. And as far as I could tell, there was no fans there. He was not allowed to go. And he was really mad about it. Talk about being passionate about something. You get 100,000 fans at these Michigan football games and they're all passionate. They're They're all devoted together for this one goal of seeing this pigskin, if they even still use pigskin, 
cross a line or go into the uprights. And it's pretty fun to watch. I got to admit, I played football. I love sports. How much more passionate should we be about the Lord? And the early church got that. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted themselves to one another. They were fervently involved in one another's lives. That's my soapbox. I keep going back to it, but I just love how the early church devoted themselves to one another and to the Lord in prayer. Observation number two, they acknowledge that God is in control. He's in complete control. And we see this in verse 24 where they say, O Lord. And the Greek word there for Lord is despotes. It's not kurios, which is used 7,000 times in the Septuagint referring to God and used several hundred times in the New Testament when it refers to God or to Jesus where it says Lord, kurios. This Greek word is a little stronger in meaning and correlating to that of a slave and hence denoted absolute ownership and uncontrolled power. Some translations translate it master. The NET, CSB, and ISB say, O Master, it is you who made the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all that is in them. Some of your translations might say, O Sovereign Lord, puts the word sovereign, denoting complete authority, complete control. Lord, you are in control of all things. So Peter and John were just arrested, and if we continue reading in Acts, they're going to be arrested more and beaten up more and ultimately persecuted and martyred for the faith they go back to this doctrine that God is in control. He has all authority. If anything happens in their lives, it's because God allows it. And if anything happens in your life and my life, we need to go back to this as well and say, God, you are master. You are in control. I'm your bondservant. I submit to your will fully. The early church understood this. The same word despotes is used in 1 Peter 2.18 where Peter says, slaves, be submissive to your masters. It's used in 2 Peter 2.1, where Peter says, the false teachers have denied the master who bought them. Pastor Joe did a message on this a couple months ago. Who is this master here? Denying the master who bought them. And some people would say, oh, that's God. It's God the Father. That's the master who bought them. But when you go to Jude 1.4, it says that those false teachers deny the master our Lord Jesus Christ. Same word, despotes. They deny the master, Jesus Christ. And it's another reason that we know that Jesus is God because he has the same titles, the same honor as the Father. Psalm 116, verse 16 says, O Lord, I surely am your servant. Some translations, slave. I'm your slave or servant. I'm the son of the female servant. You have unfastened my restraints. I believe the early church was so effective in their ministry and in their prayer life because they submitted everything to the Lord. And I believe this is crucial. I did a message some years ago titled Living as Bondservants of the Lord and how throughout the New Testament, we see that Paul and the apostles refer to themselves as bondservants, which in the Greek is doulos, meaning slave. God, you are my master, I'm your slave. And we kind of can revolt against that language because of what happened in our country with slavery, with chattel slavery, with bringing people over and calling them property and, and treating them horribly. And so we revolt against that. And what some Bible translations have done is they've changed the language to suit that thought process. And so I believe we can do both. We can say slavery 
that we have seen take place in our country and elsewhere around the world is wicked, it's evil, and God will judge those people. And I believe it says in First Timothy that kidnappers, and it, he's repeating the Old Testament, well, should they deserve the death penalty. If you take someone, if you steal someone, you are worthy of the death penalty, and that's what happened with slavery in our country. But there is slavery in the Old Testament. There is a slavery that's mentioned even in the New Testament where Paul addresses masters in the book of Ephesians and Colossians, and he says, masters, you have a master in heaven. It's a different kind of slavery that was going on. Some of it's indentured servitude. Some of it's where the slave or the servant willingly says, I want to be under your care. You have treated me so well. You have given me part of your estate. I don't want to go back to my old life. I don't want to live on the street. I don't want to be a beggar. I will willingly submit to you. And that's what it means to be a Christian. I'm willingly submitting to you, God. You're my master. You sent your son to die for me so that me, your slave, can inherit not only the things of this world in Christ, the blessings that come with being a Christian, I'm now inheriting all things. I'm going to rule and reign with Christ. What kind of master does that? And he says, you're now going to rule and reign with my son. That's amazing. And the early church got this. And they say in verse 29, now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak the word with all confidence. That's the Greek word doulos. Grant that your slaves, grant that your bondservants speak with boldness. It's an important point that we don't want to miss in the scripture. God is master. We are his slaves. We are his servants. He's in complete control. And we willingly should submit our lives to him and we willingly should submit our prayer lives to him. Observation number three. They recite the scriptures in their prayers. They recite scriptures. When they said, it's you, Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them in verse 24, they're reciting Exodus chapter 2011. It's also referenced in Nehemiah 9.6 and Psalm 146.6. They know the scripture and they're repeating it in their prayers. It's a model for us, as I mentioned earlier, to bolster our prayer life is to know the scripture, to pray the scripture. And they don't just do it in verse 24, they continue on in verse 25 and 26 where they recite Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, or Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples devise futile things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. That's Psalm 2, verses 1 and 2. And in that psalm, it goes on to say that God laughs at these kings. God laughs at these people who do wickedness. And it says in verse five of Psalm two, he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. The early church realized that no matter what people did to them, whether they ridiculed them, beat them up, threw them in prison, persecuted them, whatever it may be, they realized that God was in control that God's laughing at these rulers and at these people that are abusing their power against them. Do we have that same mindset in our lives? To the point where they could say in Acts 6.41 that they could rejoice that they were worthy to suffer for, this sh for shame for Jesus' name when they were beaten up. And I love what Pilate said to Jesus, but I love Jesus' response in John chapter 19 Verse 10, Pilate says, don't you know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? And Jesus answers back, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. 
God has all authority, all control, all power. Whatever happens to you happens to me in our lives. We need to remember that. Whatever people do to you or me, if they ridicule you, you, put you down, laugh at you, God's in control. He's working it out for his glory. It's all part of his plan. We need to submit to that. And at work, I've been having to realize this lately myself because I've been getting corrected a little bit more than I'd like at my job. I'm a teacher intern. So you have you have pretty much teacher intern, then you have teacher, then you have directors and higher up staff, and then you have the principal. So you have me at the bottom and then you have everyone else above. And so it's like, Nick, don't do that. Nick, make sure you're holding the preschooler's hand. Nick, that's not how you teach kindergartners. You need to walk back and forth. There's no sitting down. Okay, no sitting down. I got these new work shoes. They're uncomfortable. I like to sit for, for a second. Okay. And so I was driving home on Friday after a long day of work and a long week and kind of getting put down by the principal, although she did it in a nice way. It was a bit demeaning and I felt like I was five years old. And I'm like, Lord, what are you teaching me through this? You're in control. You're allowing this for some reason. I don't know why, but man, Lord, I am mad. I am frustrated. I wanted to respond back this way, Lord. And it took several hours for me to pray through it and cool down and say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. I'm not going to allow this teacher or this principal or this director to say something or do something that's going to get me off track in my walk with you, Lord. As much as I want to stay angry right now, Lord, as much as now... It's tempting to go home to my wife and kids and then this pour over into their lives. I, I literally got home in my car and I'm sitting there going, should I go inside yet? Should I go inside yet? Maybe I'll just sit in my car for 30 minutes till I can cool down enough to go inside and be a blessing to my family instead of get angry at them or whatever it may be. I need to realize that God's in control. He has all authority. He's allowing it for a reason. And even though people abuse their power, like people at my work, they might enjoy talking down to someone like me. I don't know. God knows their hearts. But some of them might get into teaching because they can tell these kids whatever they want. And it feels good. Everyone listen to me. I'm in charge. I'm the teacher. Come on, preschoolers, do this. And they have these whistles and they're constantly, it's like drill sergeants. And I believe they really enjoy it deep down, some of them. And as a Christian, God's saying, submit, Nick, take the correction, listen to them, humble yourself when at times I want to fight back, right? Did the early church, do you think, want to fight back? Do you think that when they're being persecuted, thrown in jail like Paul, beaten with rods, they even might might wanted to take up arms at times and say, we're going to literally fight back. And that's what some supposed Christians have done throughout the centuries, what did they devote themselves to instead? Prayer. They got on their knees and God answered their prayers over and over and over again. He came through and that's what we need to do as well. Whatever happens in your life and my life, may it, dry, may it drive us to our knees. May it drive us to seek God more in prayer as hard as it can be at times. May the Lord help us to do that. I got three more points to get through. Observation number five, the early church knew they needed help and they asked for it. And we saw that in verse 29, where it says that your grant that your bond servants may speak the word with all confidence. Enable us, Lord, they're saying. That's what grant means. Grant or enable your bond servants to speak with courage, Lord. 
because in and through ourselves and our own strength, we can't do it, Lord. We're not confident. We're not bold in and of ourselves. They realized they needed help, and that should be a big part of our prayer life. Lord, help. That's one of the main things I pray. Lord, help me be the husband you've called me to be. Help me to be the father to my children that you've called me to be. Help me to be a light at my job and not get angry and not respond back when I'm getting corrected. Lord, help me teach the church according to your word. Help me to bless them. Help me to encourage them. Help me to edify them. Give me wisdom, Lord. Help me. And the helps go on and on and on. And the early church got this. And for you, think of the things where you need help. And like myself, at times we need, all of us, I believe, we need to put down our pride. And it could even be something something simple. I mean, one, one thing happened at my work recently to where one of the teachers wouldn't even look at me. And I never, we never even talked once. I was told, go into this teacher's class and observe. And so I'm sitting in the back and I'm observing him teach and all the other teachers seem to come up to me after, hey, Nick, nice to meet you. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Like, um, if you need help, if, if you need any resources, let me know. And this teacher walks by me in the halls. He, like, won't look. He, 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 and I'll look at him. Like, if he looks, I'm going to say hi to him, even though I'm like, what's going on here? And for, like, the first several weeks, won't look at me, won't talk to me, won't it seems like he's mad at me. And I'm like, what did I do, Lord? I'm like, this is really awkward. And then they've, they've had me go back to his class a couple times. And I'm like, please, Lord, I, I kind of don't want to go back to this guy's class. Like, I'll go to all, all the other nice teachers that are willing to reach out and, and encourage me and help me. And so recently they're like, okay, go back to this person's class. And not only do we want you to go back, we want you now to teach his class. Okay, so you need to collaborate with him and teach certain things and get his feedback and work with him. And I'm like, Lord, no, Lord, please. And so I knew that I needed to talk to him this week. And like, I was starting to lose sleep over it. Like, okay, how am I going to approach him? Like, what if I say, hey, my name's Nick. And he's just like, don't talk to me. I'm like, that's going to hurt, but okay, that's going to be weird. And so I'm like, you know what? I haven't really prayed about this. Like, it's kind of, it's not a huge deal. It's an awkward thing, but I'm like, Lord, I haven't prayed about this. And so I started to pray. Lord, I don't know what to say to this person. Help me to love this person. Maybe he doesn't enjoy teaching or maybe he has family struggles. Maybe there's many things going on in his life. Help me to love this person, to reach out to him and just give me the words to speak. And so I ended up going to his class early in the morning. No one was in there. He's writing on the board and I walked in and I'm like, hey, Mr. So-and-so, I'm Nick. Can I talk to you? I said, I'm Nick. Can I talk to you for a couple minutes? It was really awkward, but, and I'm like ready for the death stare or who are you? Get out of my office. And he ended up being a really nice guy. He goes, hey, how's it going? Yeah, come on in. And he starts talking to me and he's showing me all these resources and he's like, yeah, we could plan this. And I'm like, wow, look at how well that went, Lord. Here I was losing sleep over it. But maybe the Lord met my prayer. I mean, I know the Lord met my prayer, but here I was building it up to be this huge deal and God answered. And it's in the big scheme of life, it's not this huge thing. But even those little things, do we give to the Lord and say, here, Lord, I don't know how to go about this in life. Would you please help me? And God comes to our aid. Moses said in Exodus 33:15, Moses, if your present doesn't go with us, don't 
send us. We're not going, Lord. If you don't come and help us, Lord, don't send us into the promised land because apart from your power and your strength, we're not going. David says in Psalm 12:1, help, Lord. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore. Those who are loyal have vanished from the human race. Moses prayed for help. David prayed for help. Many saints in the scripture pray for help. That should be, I believe, at the forefront of our prayers, asking God for help in our lives. Two last observations as I get ready to close. Observation number six from verse 30. They prayed with expectation. They prayed with expectation as they say, Lord, extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They were expecting miracles, signs and wonders and God's power in their life. They are praying with faith. And that's something that we need to pray for and with as well as faith, trusting that God's gonna come through. Not doubting, but saying, Lord, I'm asking according to your will, will you meet this request? So do we pray in the same way, with the same urgency, with the same expectation, with the same desperation, with the same unity, with the same humility, and with, and with the same consistency as the early church? This is all, these are all things that I'm praying that the Lord would help us to grow in in the days ahead. And as I mentioned last week, I believe we can shortchange the Lord. Lord, I don't really know if many, many Mormons can come to faith. I don't know if all these students at Boise State or the colleges around here can come to faith. I don't know if the people at the school that I'm teaching at or the people that I'm rubbing shoulders with can really come to faith. So I'll pray, Lord, I pray that souls get saved and then I'll move on to the next thing. But are we really fervently praying with expectation that God will answer our prayers? And I, that's what I'm pleading for in all of our lives in the days ahead. James says, as I mentioned before, we have not because we ask not. And perhaps we're not asking as we should. May the Lord help us. Last observation from verse 31. God answered mightily. They pleaded with the Lord. They cried out to him. And it says the room shook. The Holy Spirit fell upon them and they spoke with boldness. God hears our prayers. 1 John 5, 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us. Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and you will find. Matthew 7, 7. Some translations say keep asking, keep knocking, keep praying till we get breakthrough. Don't stop it. Well, I prayed, Lord, and it's not, we're not seeing that. Keep praying until he meets us, meets our needs as he met the early church's needs as well. That's my prayer for us, that we would be like the early church, that we would plead to the Lord that he would come through, that he would meet our requests, that many would get saved, that we would be built up, strengthened, whether there's five people in this room or 5,000, which 5,000 can't fit in this room, but if the church is to grow to that, May we plead with the Lord and may we always keep prayer as a priority in our lives. Amen? Well, let's go ahead and pray. Father, thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for your goodness, your grace in our lives. We thank you for the examples in the scripture. Many, many examples of faithful saints, Lord, who went through so much 
and continue to plead with you, continue to trust you, continue to pray with expectation that you would come through. And we see in Hebrews 11, Lord, the Faith Hall of Fame, all the amazing things, Lord, that you've done throughout redemptive history through your saints. I pray, Lord, that we would see your mighty hands in our lives. I pray that we would see revival in our day, revival in our own hearts, revival in our city and town and state and nation and around the world. I pray that we wouldn't shortchange, Lord, what you can do in our lives and in and through us and that we wouldn't be able to say that we have not because we ask not, but that we would continue to plead, continue to ask, continue to knock until, Lord, you open the door and until your power comes upon us and that we would be constantly filled with your Holy Spirit. So use us mightily, Lord. Unite us in the faith. Help us to pray with urgency. The spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. Lord, help us to rely on your spirit, to walk in the spirit, not gratify the things of the flesh. We love you, Lord. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.